want to open up with the first part of a story. I like stories, story time, and uh, you, can't go to, you can't go to nap time after the story time, but uh, we'll get there about 1 o'clock today. That's when I take my Sunday nap, and, uh, but we'll get there. Uh, this was uh, quite a while ago. Lily was a baby, and we had uh, bought my parents' house, the house I grew up in, off of them, and we had uh, remodeled it. Step number one, before I would even live in it, was to add air conditioning because I was a I was horribly abused as a child. I grew up in a house without air conditioning. And uh, isn't that terrible? Without a TV and without air, I could have gone to the cops. I'm pretty sure they would have taken my case. Uh, But anyways, grew up in the house without AC and was just normal. We were used to it. But when Danielle and I, we'd been, like I'd lived in like a apartment, good old apartment living. And so the the air was on. And I'm like, I can't go back. Like you can live without AC, but then when you have it, you can't, it's like cars, you can't go back to, you know, you can't go back to a, a four-cylinder after you have an eight-cylinder, like, that's terrible, and uh, I actually have one of each, but that's okay, and um, so I remodeled, the, so we remodeled this house, my parents were very gracious to us, and, and sold it for way less than they should have to help us little slobs get our, get our start in the big world, and uh, get our little house, and uh, I put way too much money into it. Has anybody ever done that? They get just so excited about something and you just overdo it. And so uh, you do not want to have the most expensive house on the neighbor, in the street. Like that's, that's like a real estate rule that you learn like after you're 25 apparently. And uh, so I put way too much into it. We were making it how we liked it and that was cool. And, um, and then Danielle and I both start feeling like God is up to something, and we felt strongly that we were supposed to sell the house. Well, sell the house. Well, we like the house. We just got it how we like it, and we didn't know, like, usually when you're selling a house, it's because you have either decided that you want a new house, or you're, you decide you want to live in a different neighborhood, or your job changes or something. We just felt like we were supposed to sell the house. And we quickly realized that we could not, like we were upside down on it at that point if we were going to sell it for what the houses were going for. So we were trying to do for sale by owner. Has that worked for anybody in this place for a house? You've sold it. Oh my gosh, that's a miracle. So we put our little thing out in the yard. We bought our thing and did the little printed out things. It doesn't work for most people. In today's market, it might. We kept waiting like the house was for sale. And people thought we were weird, you know, like, here's this for sale sign. Where are you guys going? Where are you guys doing? Uh, I don't know. Just God told us to sell the house. And uh, new series today starting. It's called Gibberish. Now, I have a grandson. You've heard a lot about him because he's amazing. He is almost one years old, and he speaks fluent gibberish. It's very cute to listen to, and we all think that we're hearing our names, <clears throat> GG, and, uh, and I have not heard anything close to Poppy yet, but I'm praying daily that the lad will get some sense. And, um, but you just hang on to every babble, and they're cute as Christmas, and yet it's just gibberish. But what we're talking about today is, is in this, the next couple weeks, is the times when God doesn't make sense. And so we're going to move through three different things that I guarantee every person in this room has felt, if you're being honest, that you have felt that God is being inattentive, that you feel like God is being late, and you feel like God is being uncooperative. Raise a hand right now if you agree with me that you have felt all three of those things. People with your hands down, you're either asleep or you're very good at lying. And we have all felt these things. And so we're going to go through three stories 
in the New Testament. And so let's start with this first one, uh, this inattentive. Uh, when you want somebody's attention or you think you should have it, it is very frustrating when you feel like you are being ignored. Um, this is especially true if you're at like a, uh, like I was at a, a Burger King inside. I'll just trash Burger King today. That's fine. You're only going to have 10 customers today. Could you please take care of one of them when you have them? Like we we're at the one. Yeah. So we're at the one in the airport, long story. And like, there's nobody there, and yet it is still taking, like, forever. And, like, there's no acknowledgement that we're standing there. There's no, like, can, can somebody, like, we're it. Like, and, and, like, I know that this is crazy, but, like, the money we're going to put in your cash register is going to be eventually the one that goes to your paycheck. And if you don't have that money, then there's no, you know, like, it's simple math in my world. And, and yet you would think that would entitle you to some attention we don't like to feel ignored. And this can be especially frustrating when we feel like God is ignoring us. So, so how Danielle and I were feeling is, God, we were obedient. This is where you put on your, I'm justified in being upset with you, Lord. Nobody else has felt like that. I'm sorry. This is just me. There are times when I feel justified in being upset with God because I will say something like this. God, I did what you told me to do. Now... Now, a few days later, now, a couple months later, right? And you're like, but I did this. That's all you've asked me to do. Um, what do you do when God seems inattentive? What do you do when it feels like God has gone radio silent? The big thought for today is just because God is silent does not mean that God is absent. Let me read that again. Big thought for today. Just because God is silent does not mean that God is absent. We're going to talk today about a story that's, that's wedged in the Bible, and it's kind of after his heyday, but is John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist is this crazy, uh, this wild man, kind of a, a throwback to the old school prophets. It says this guy wore like animal skins. He hung out in the desert. He just ate whatever grew out there. And he was just this wild dude. But he would prophesy and he was sent. Well, by the way, he's first cousins with Jesus. And he was sent to prepare the way of Jesus. And so he was saying the Savior is coming. The Savior is coming. And so he was basically the last prophet right before Jesus. And so we have that time right before Jesus. We have all of this attention now on Jesus doing uh, miracles, but then here's John the Baptist. He's still on the scene. And the king at the time is a man named Herod. There's a whole bunch of different Herods just to confuse us today. And, uh, and he ends up uh, married to his brother's wife. Somebody say, ooh. Exactly. And John the Baptist knew that it was ooh. And so he called Herod out on it. He said, you have disobeyed and dishonored God by pursuing your brother's wife and marrying her. And you dig a little deeper into the story, and it seems like the wife may have been after, the brother's wife may have been after him too. Like she wanted to upgrade, like I want to be married to the king. So because she's the one that gets really upset I mean, if you pick the wrong, who's picked the wrong brother? Don't, wager, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Bad Adam, bad Adam. No. So John the Baptist calls them out, and this infuriates 
the wife of Herod. And let's go to Mark 6, 17 through 20. These stories are in the Bible. It is crazy. There's no end to the drama in here, and we get to see what God does with crazy people. It says in Mark 6, 17 to 20, For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been married to his brother. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, It is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias, I don't know how to say her name. That's the best I've got. Bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. This Herod is an interesting character. It, he has a respect for who John the Baptist is. I believe that he's, he understands God's truth. He knows he's in disobedience. He likes to hear. Have you ever been around people that like, they have this weird relationship with God where it's like they, they want to know the truth, but yet they don't really want to change their life to live by it, and, and they stay in this weird tension. This is what this Herod guy is doing. It says that he enjoyed talking to John. Well, John was, he was only spouting God's truth. Like, it would have been full-on, intense preaching, and so Herod was attracted to it, and, and he respected John for it, but at the same time, like, he was uncomfortable by it. Isn't that strange? And he would keep John safe, even though his wife wanted him dead. John has been faithfully serving God. He was set apart from birth to prepare the way for the Messiah, who would also have the weird position of being his earthly first cousin. I mean, this is, this is an unusual place. And so he knows that he's not the main act. And he has gone faithfully out there and done his job. He has lived off of the land. He is only wearing animal skins. He is a wild looking dude. And he has done his job. He has baptized Jesus. I mean, he has done his part. And so would you be thinking if you're in prison I've done my job. My cousin, the Messiah, like if anybody should have an in, it's John the Baptist, right? Has anybody said, oh, I know a guy. Like my brother, you know, my brother will get you a free taco at Taco Bell. Like, I mean, like we're all about hookups with, 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 in our society, right? I know a guy, right? And like, okay, well, so-and-so works here. They'll give you a deal. They'll give you the family deal. Do you think John wanted the family deal? I'd be frustrated if I was in jail and my first cousin, the Messiah, is out doing miracles for everybody else, and here I am in prison. It says that he sends, let's go to Matthew 11, next door here, or you can look on the screens. I think Super Sam has most of these up there. It says, John the Baptist, we're in chapter 11, Matthew 11, verse 2. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? That's a powerful question, right? Because they were, he knew that he was to prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah, and he's basically saying, like, are you it? Like, it sounds like you're it. Am I done? Like, I, am I, have I done my job? Are you, are you the guy? Are you the one? 
Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. The good stuff is happening. Rest assured that I'm on the scene. This, the, what we've been waiting to see, what the promise is here. And then he finishes with this little phrase. He says, and he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. He sends back this word of encouragement to John who's in prison. Blessed are those who don't fall away because of me. What do words like that mean? It, it, to, to us today, it's blessed are you who don't fall away. Just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. God's got a purpose for you. He's got a purpose for what's happening in your life. You might not understand the things that are happening to you. Um, we're going to talk through some of these things about what you can do about it today and how to make sure that what's happening is, is part of God's plan and not just something that's a fruit of something wrong that you've done or something. But trust the process, basically. Keep, keep going. Keep going. So fast forward to, uh, we'll go back to Mark chapter 6, 21. You guys are very quiet today. I'll second Chrissy. I'm going to need an amen or we're done here. Um, that's a wrap, folks. Uh, Mark chapter 6. Tune in next week for the second half. It's party time at the palace. And I'm just going to, I'll tell you what's going on. So uh, it's a birthday. It's Herod's birthday, I believe. And it is on. He is showing off to the world. He has all of his leaders there. He has uh, the town, uh, the, the big shots. He has the place packed. He has the music going. And then it says that he has, uh, it's his stepdaughter, she begins to dance. And he is just blown away with how sweet her moves are, apparently. And like, it's just, she is dancing. I mean, so yeah, we got layers of sickness here, I think. Um, and so uh, besides the point, the dancing is phenomenal. I don't know if she's top ballerina of her time or, or whatever else. She's doing her thing. And in, in, in grand Dios manner, showing off in front of the whole town. Let's catch up with this in 21. So Mark chapter 6, 21. Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials and for the leading citizens of Galilee. His daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king says to the girl, and I will give it to you. He, and he vowed, I will give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. What do you want? You want a pony? I'll buy you a pony. Two ponies? Buy you two ponies. You want your own basketball team? What do you want? What do you want? You want a new, new, new bedroom? I mean, he's showing off. Name it, and I'll buy it. Well, she pulls her mother to the side, and she says, what should I ask for? This is, I mean, this is going to be good. I mean, it's not like a genie with three wishes. Like, you get one. You, you, you know, make it count, Right? What should I ask for? Verse 24, her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. The woman has been waiting 
to get John. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. You want to know where the term head on a platter comes from? Right here in the King James Version. That's where that phrase comes from. Sick. It says that Herod was beside himself. Oh, I'm skipping ahead. John's in a bit of a pickle. Now, he's in the prison. He doesn't know this request has been made. God does. What should God do in this situation? If I'm writing a script, or if you're writing a script, it says like a whole bunch of lightning bolts come down and fry little Herodias and her little dancing daughter. Right? Wouldn't that be great? That's the ending I would like. And, and Herod would like come to full understanding of the power of Jesus Christ and say, I'm, I'm messed up and I'm sorry, and bring John the Baptist into the palace and they could, you know, lead the kingdom together. I don't know. That's like the Hollywood ending. But it doesn't happen, does it? Nope. You ever heard the term off with his head? That's what happens. It says, then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made, he was showing off. If this would have been a private conversation, he probably could have sidestepped it. But he had boldly in front of the entire town, all the top brass, all the big shots, he said, ask me and I'll do it. And she says, I want his head. So he immediately sent an executioner to prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. I don't even, it's so gross, I don't even want to finish it. Head on a platter. This is gibberish. This is a time where God doesn't make sense. John has been a good John the Baptist. Like, he's done, he's done his job. He's baptized a ton of people. He's prepared the way. Even when, when people tried to exalt him, or he's like, no, someone's coming. who I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Like, I, he doesn't even take any of the fame. And, and he, he takes whatever comes his way, whatever food comes his way, whatever clothes, whatever is handed to him from God, he takes and says, yes, Father. And he goes from beginning to end and lives his life for the purposes of God. Jesus had the power to rescue John, and he didn't. Where is God? And I think this is a, this is a theme in Christians, and, and it's even something that we find people wrestle with when you want to talk with them about their faith. It kind of goes to the why do bad things happen to good people. It's kind of tied in with that. But it's like, if there, if there is a God and he's good, then, then why was I at a funeral here yesterday morning and helped some friends bury their dad from cancer? Well, why, right? Where is God? Why didn't God heal my friend's dad? Is that fair? I mean, have we all asked these? We've all asked these things. Of course we have. Where is God? This isn't the plan. I'm still stick, sick. I'm still stuck. Am I, like, is this real here? I, 
Why am I still sick? Why is this person still sick? Why did this happen to this family? Why, 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 why am I still here? This is all gibberish. It doesn't make any sense. Here's the thing. We have to resolve ourselves to, to the purpose that we're living for. And there's a reason why our vision statement ends with, and his plans. Uh, we've, we've gone back and forth. In the early days, it was his purpose, but plans has a better ring. But that's what we're getting at, his plans for your life, his purpose. Because if you start with his purpose, then you are able to withstand the plans changing. Because if I am focused on my purpose, then I make my plans to accomplish my purpose and I, my value then and my identity and, and, and my, my happiness, everything is tied into those plans going the way they're supposed to, moving me towards my purpose, right? God, I, you, why isn't the house selling? What, why are we selling the house? Why? Like, where, what is the deal here? This doesn't make any sense. When we switch... To God's purpose, then then we allow him to make the plans, it, it causes our faith to stay in the purpose. And that's what this series is driving us to, is that our faith needs to stay in the purpose so that when God seems inattentive, when he seems late, when he seems uncooperative, that we can always pull back macro, big picture, and say, God, you're, you're in charge. And we can rest in that, even though we might not like and really be disappointed or tragically undone by what has happened. We can still anchor our lives out into the purpose of God, and that's how we can withstand some of these plans. Proverbs 19.21 says this, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is, it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that that prevails. I make plans for every day from laying out my clothes for the next day to my mom doesn't do it. I do it. And, uh, you know, I, I pick up my clothes. I know where I'm going. I, I have my day mapped out. I know what I'm, you know, I know I'm meeting with three different people at three different times tomorrow. And then hopefully I'll be home, you know, by five o'clock and, and have family time. You know, I have plans for tomorrow. I have plans for Tuesday. I have plans for Wednesday. You see, you get the point. I just planned for a conference in November. I make plans all the time. Some of y'all out there just winging it. Woo! Wake up and just flip a coin. Am I getting dressed today or not? Am I staying in the moo-moo? I don't know. Am I My kids flip a coin whether they're going to brush their teeth or not. I mean, it's, let's just wing it. I make plans, right? But if I'm not grounded in the purpose of God, and something happens to change my plans, and I still am a hot mess when my plans change. I have to, like, reboot. I'm a really not a fun person to, to be around when, when, like, the day changes. Like, I, I've got to refocus my mind, and I can get excited about it, but I've got to, ooh, shut down process and then reform. Anybody else like that? Hopefully some of you are all like, some of you are like, something changes, and you're like, ooh, that sounds good, Right? Okay, some of you are, some of you are that's, that's just a great way to go through life. I've got to go, oh, and then, oh, 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 okay, and then we're back on. So I make plans, but the worst, when bad things happen, 
and bad things happen, right? I've got my anchor in the Lord's purpose. Let's go through uh, just these three things to help us process this. Number one, we do not have to understand the plan to trust God's promise. We do not have to understand the plan to trust the promise. Now, some of y'all are so detailed that you want a complete breakdown before you will commit to the thing. Like, you want to know not just what the promised end result is, but how exactly are you getting me there? And what are the five sub-steps to that step? Y'all really crazy. Like, you make me look sane. That's, that's, that's a sickness, and you probably need counseling. You, you can't know all of the plans ahead of time. Now, some people, like when you're building something, there's even a proverb that says you, you make sure that you have the money and the materials before you would build a building. When I'm building something, I'm sketching it out. I make my material list ahead of time, and I can pretty much visually know where I'm going with something. And, and, and it just gets there, and, and it helps you, helps you get there. We don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. God is infinitely complex. Get this. This, this, this thought hit my mind the other day. I need somebody to tell me that it's theologically wrong because I don't think so. I'm looking at the water of the swimming pool, and I'm watching the ripples come from this part, and I'm watching the ripples come from this part, and then I'm seeing, you ever seen how two sets of waves kind of hit? God knows what that texture is going to look like. He knows how all those things, if you look at the surface of, of water, it's never the same. You can look over here to here, and it's not the same. And then when you see those things go in together, all of these things that are happening, I'm blowing some people's minds out there. When, when we have all of these things happen in people's lives around us, so I've got all of this stuff in my life, all the stuff in the people's lives with me, around me, neighbors, friends, family, church, the country. I mean, we live in a complex world with lots of connections, right? The ripples are amazing. A lot of the stuff I do affects the people around me and vice versa. The stuff that's happening on a national level, all these ripples. What am I telling you this morning besides just freaking people out? God sees those. He knows where they're going. He's not concerned when the one wave hits another wave. It's, there's his, his, his rule is behind all of it. Everything that happens physically is all according to his laws that we call the laws of physics. He wrote them. We didn't invent them. We discovered ways to explain his laws for this physical place called planet Earth. And he knows what's going to happen when all of those collide. God is infinitely complex. He plans the ripples. He knows what's happening in other people's lives. He knows what's happening in your lives. We don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. Number two, this is a big one, and I don't say this callously at all. Do not waste the pain. Number two is do not waste the pain. The pain stinks. I don't like it, and you're a sicko if you like it. Like, nobody likes it. Nobody likes to be hurt. Don't waste it. What do I mean by that? Who likes video games in here? A lot of video games, you have to get through something and pick up something that you need later in the video game. 
Five people are nodding their head. That is true. You need something from this first part of the game. You've got to go through this struggle and get this thing that means nothing to you then, but you sure better have it when you're on level seven or you can't get through level seven. Does that... Okay, we are going to go through some garbage that God is going to use in you to get you through another point of your life. And going back to the ripples intersecting, it might be to help somebody else get through a difficult part in their life. So some of the pain that God, uh, that God is, is using in our lives, and, and some of it, it's not even that he's put there, but it's a result of a fallen world, and he's allowing it to be there. I, I don't understand cancer. I wish it would all just disappear off the face of the earth. It hasn't yet. I've seen some people healed. I've seen some people not healed or healed for even a time and then get sick again. I don't know. That's all gibberish to me. But what I do know is that God will use those things regardless. Don't waste the pain. Almost always, there's almost always something that God wants to do inside of you at every stage of your life. And actually, I think I'll, I'll, I will go ahead and up that all the way. There is something that God wants to do inside of you at every stage of your life. There is something that he wants to do in you. And, and so we don't want to... I mean, it's bad enough to go through the pain. Don't waste it. And so here's a question with that. Are you responding or resisting? Our natural response is always going to be to resist pain. Ouch. Pull your hand off the stove. I hope so. Or you be a dummy. We already did a series on that. First, our natural instinct should be to resist pain. But make sure you're not wasting it. What does God want you, if you're in this season, I'll go back to the house. What does God want to do inside of Danielle and us when we are just waiting with this weird sell the house instruction? He's trying to build us up to trust him, to listen closely, to, to pray and wait on him. I mean, there are some ways to flex your spiritual muscles and to build your strength when you're going through something. And I don't want to go through something terrible, and I don't want you to have to. But if you are, what does God want you to do? Don't resist what he wants to do inside of you in it. Number two, don't waste the pain. So one, we don't have to understand the plan to trust God's promise. Number two, don't waste the pain. Number three, stay the course. Same funeral yesterday. Um, uh, a friend that I grew up at, at Trinity with, uh, our friends, twin, twin boys, their dad, a um, man of the name of Nip Culver, and, and there's a beautiful thing about funerals, especially somebody that's loved the Lord and, and somebody that's been so kind to so many people, uh, when you just hear this legacy of faithfulness. Married for 47 years, coached a bunch of kids diving, and, and just faithful, 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 faithful. Stay the course. We are in a generation now, and it's gotten worse, I believe, progressively, where we just, uh, it, it's not going to plan, scrap that plan, and I'm moving on to the next plan. I mean, how many majors do you have to declare? I mean, like, stick with something. Please, something that's going to make you money. Like, stay the course. A little college advice there. We, we get restless, don't we? Well, 
my wife, she's freaking out. Well, my husband, he's freaking out. Stay the course. So many people bail out when things get, when the other person, and I've seen it where one person goes a little wonky. I mean, it can be through a, a depression, can be through a job loss, can be through uh, chemically. I mean, I've seen this. And, and the other person's like, this isn't the plan. This isn't this, I mean, like literally, this is not the same person I married. Okay, stay the course. Watch God move. Stay with what you set out to do. Keep going. Get, did he give you something to do? So let's move through this. Stay the course. Who is, who's been in the military in this room? I love you guys. Thank you for your service. How do your orders work? Do you get to choose when those end? What happens, like you have to stick with the old orders until new orders come in, right? If you're told to, to be here, that's where you be. And you either have an assigned ending time for that, or if it's an indefinite role, that's your job until you are what? Give it another job. And so as believers, our trust needs to be so deep into the purposes of God that we would stay in the current set of orders until we are sure about the new ones. And so many people, they just get like, did God forget about me? He had me do this a while ago. I'm still doing it, but I, I'm not so sure anymore. And it's worth praying about. It's worth maybe getting some counsel about. But I would caution you that you, you should do it exactly that until you know what to do uh, next. Do the last thing that God told you to do. That's how this life's supposed to work. We're supposed to trust him with that. He gives you an assignment. I, I, I figure that I'm on this assignment indefinitely, right? And I hope it's a long time. Like, God, I'm, I'm here. And so I need to be patient in it. Like, God, this, I'm just going to keep plowing the ground. And one of the coaches that I, I use in my life, he said, Adam, just, if you keep doing the right things long enough, the, good, it's, the, the results are going to come. But that means stay the course. So um, who's had a boss? I've, I've heard this from my own dad. That he had a boss that he would read a new book and then would change everything at the office. Have you, have you had one of those? Or a new boss comes in, you got to do everything new, and then you get another new boss, and you're like, yo, just the next one will come. Don't worry, there'll be another book in a few months. There'll be another. Well, I've, I've been in corporate world before, and, and my life would change depending on the, the assistant manager that was assigned over me. But beneath that is just, you just want somebody to come in and lead, lock in some good, healthy principles, and then stay the course. The best businesses do that. The best families do that. The best churches do that. The best individuals do that. Have you stopped doing what God has asked you to do? And maybe not stopped. Maybe you've gotten just a little sidetracked and it's moved back burner. Like, it's still, okay, I'm doing it, but it's not where my focus is. What has God given you to do? If it's to, I don't know, fill in the blank. He told me to plant a church full of crazy, awesome people, and here we are. He wants more crazy, awesome people here, so we're going to keep going. What has he asked you to do? Do it, right? Get back to it. So here's something we can do for Monday. A daily checklist of how can I best honor God in my situation today? What can I, I feel stuck, I feel sick, 
I feel like I don't, I'm not seeing, like, I feel like God is not moving. This is what we're getting at. I'm frustrated. How can I best honor God with today? How can I do the thing that he's called me to do? How can I stay the course? How can I trust the purpose regardless of what's happening around me? Um, how can I not waste the pain of this situation? God, I'm yours to use today. How can I honor God today? Let me go back to the story. So this was a time in Danielle and I's life where I was working for um, Home Depot. That's when, I'm, when I reference corporate America, I loved working there, but all of the corporate stuff exists in every corporation. And, uh, and so I was uh, working, working for Home Depot, and, and uh, we were getting our little family started. We had little Lily, and, um, and we had our little house, and, and life was good, and God says, sell the house. Okay, house doesn't sell. Well, next thing you know, we're like, we're supposed to get back into ministry, and I've told, or into ministry, and I've told this part of the story. Well, go all the way through that. I get hired by Trinity. Part of my salary package is living in this first house that you can see diagonally across the street. Nice house. My house still didn't sell. And most of my salary was living in that house. My paycheck that I was getting from the church was just enough to cover basically my house payment and bills. So we looked at renting. Didn't feel like we were supposed to rent. Had a guy come, a uh, guy going through something at uh, Home Depot. Uh, got to know him well and um, going through a difficult place, time in his life, needed a place to live. We're like, well, the house isn't selling. Uh, nobody's living in the house. Uh, if you'll make sure it's ready for showings, when they come, um, then you can stay in the house. And so we moved through this period, this season, and I was excited to get the job over there, but there was still something that God wanted to teach me that was painful. And that was that the plans where I thought that this and this and this should happen, God said, I'm the one that takes care of you. Yeah, the job in itself, that whole story is a miracle. I've shared it before. I'll share it again. I, I'm, I'm, I love that story. But this house was this like this anchor dragging down the whole thing. I loved the new house I was living in. I loved the new job I was doing. And we had this anchor around our neck in the form of a house payment for a house we weren't living in and, and still had to keep some utilities going there, right? So... It was keeping me from truly embracing and celebrating what God had done. It was like, God, you forgot something here. Is that an arrogant thing to say, but we've all said it? God, you forgot this piece. I love that you gave me a better house to live in. Sweet. Church paid all the bills on it. Sweet, sweet. Couldn't afford cable before. This one came with cable, ESPN. God, this house, we're, we're losing money every month, God. God, do you, do, you, do you know what's going on here? 
we eventually sold it. Like I said, we were able to help a guy. Uh, it, God took care of all of those things. He helped us. Uh, he helped us sell the house, and and the rest is history. I, it, it was a big part of of Danielle and I learning to trust God, even when we thought this part was all figured out. A couple thoughts to finish with. There's a theme throughout the Bible that says obedience is better than sacrifice. And so sometimes we'll play the martyr card. God, I'm doing all this for you. God, I've, I've done all this for you. And so I'm entitled to. We talked about that last week about prayer. Like there, there's, there is a boldness, but there's a, there should be a humility. I'm not entitled to Like I know I'm a son, but God, this is, it's your will be done. That was something that was missing in my prayers at that point. And so it says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Stay the course. This is what I've been given to do. God, you, these situations, I can't do anything else about. I've done all I can do. Let's move ahead. When you're going through these seasons, it's appropriate to look at everything and to make sure that there is nothing you can do. And, and that's not your call to make by the way. You need to get some extra help on that. Some people that are, uh, have walked with the Lord longer than you or have been through similar situations, it's not your call to say uh, this marriage is over. It's not your call to say this job's over. It's not. You, you, those have to be directed from the Lord, and, and you really want confirmation because we will steer those thoughts in our mind, especially when we are beyond uncomfortable with the pain of the situation. Does that make sense? When we are hurting, we are really start to get skewed in our thinking because we want out. And, and, and all of a sudden, we're like, oh, God, you know, God doesn't want me to be hurting. Find that in the Bible. He prefers for, I mean, I, that's a whole other message. Stay tuned. Can we pray this morning? God, these are, these are conversations that we are frustrated with. Because, God, we, we do plan what we're wearing tomorrow. We do plan our schedule tomorrow. We do know what we're getting at the grocery store. We know what time we're waking up. We know what time our kid's out of school. We know what's in our checking account, or we should know what's in our checking account. God, we know when the bills are due. God, we know when vacation is. God, we plan things, and, God, it feels to us many times that you have forgotten about us. And God, the first thing we pray today is to forgive us for ever saying something so cruel to a God that loves us so much that he would send his only son to die for us. God, you have endlessly proved your love for us. Forgive us for doubting it. God, would we be a people that would trust in your purpose regardless of the plans changing around us? We don't need to know the plan, God. We just need to know you. God, there are some people in here that have walked away from something you've asked them to do. And you want to breathe that back into them. If that's you this morning, You want to get back to doing the last thing God told you to do. Is that you this morning? You're reminded of something that you've put on the back burner or you've given up on. Would you raise your hand this morning? I want you to honor God 
and raise your hand and, and declare that to him today. He sees those hands. He wants you to just get, the back, get back to doing. Get back at it. He's going to be there with you. And I know there's some people in this room because it's a, a room full of human beings that you're dealing with situations where you feel like God has left you on hold. Is that you this morning? Do you feel like you've been left on hold? I want you to raise your hand this morning. I, I just, I'm, not, I'm not here to belittle you. God isn't. I see that hand. I see that hand. What I want you to know is that God sees you. God, I pray that your love would be a manifest presence. God, I thank you that it would be tangible today. God, that you would make yourself evident in my friends' lives this morning. God, that we would trust you. And God, that we would understand that silence does not mean absence. God, you're with us. You see us. There's something going on. God, would we partner with you instead of resist you? Would we learn the things that we're supposed to learn through the pain? God, I lift up my brothers and sisters that are hurting today for whichever reason. God, would you show them where, they're, where they've missed it? Places where they just have to know that other people have missed it and we just have to trust you regardless? And would we stay the course and trust in your purpose without having to know the plans? God, I thank you and praise you that what is gibberish to us doesn't phase you for the least. We trust you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to close with a song today. If you want prayer this morning, we've got a couple teams of people that would love to know what's going on in your life and pray with you. And if that's something you need long-term, then you can fill out a prayer request card, and we want to follow that with you. And then if you've made a decision or, or you're, you're interested in baptism or God has done something in your heart, please go through next steps so that we can follow up with you. Let's stand and worship.